0: But you can't arrive at a price based on what you think is, quote unquote, fair, or what you think is a good price based on what your expectation of what you would pay for a table is, right? I'd made those mistakes, quite a few of them early, and then I was like, this has got to change.
1: Introducing Astra HP, the newest high-performance innovation in cutting-edge technology from Bits and Bits. Let me tell you what's new about it. It's incredibly thin, measuring at just 0.3 microns. It's also tougher than ever with an impressive 5,000 Vickers hardness. And it's specially designed to reduce friction and heat buildup, leading to cleaner cuts and longer tool life. Available now on all their newest Spiral CNC bits and router bits. So if you want to check it out yourself, go to bitsbits.com. That's B-I-T-S, B-I-T-S-B-I-T-S B-I-T-S, dot com. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with David DiRamo, owner of Tiller Trade Co. David grew up wanting to own his own shop, but as he got older, his career path changed. His passion for building, though, was reignited as an adult when he saw other people building in his own home and thought, I can do that better. Now, with his own company, he's living his childhood dream and making sure his clients are getting nothing less than the professionalism he would want for himself. Follow along as we talk about marking your territory, the way to advertise your company, how to stand out in the service industry, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about David's story
0: in his own words. Growing up, working with my dad in the shop as a hobbyist woodworker, Um, we used to build stuff for the house, furniture, whatever, um, and loved it. And then growing up, going through high school, I worked in a couple cabinet shops over the summers and my intent through high school was to own a cabinet shop. When I got out of high school, I worked for my second or third cabinet shop and then decided I was going to go to the local community college and did uh, a year's worth of college starting for architecture and construction management. And I had done drafting in high school. I did shop and all that stuff. And at some point I just said, you know what, I'm going to go be a fireman. And part of that was because it was 08. It was 07, 08. And that's kind of when things started to really turn. And then, uh, so I went and became a fireman. So we'll fast forward now. Um, over that 12 year span in the fire department, I started some other businesses and did different things. Uh, nothing that relates to woodworking. And then, in 2020, in the beginning in January 1st, 2020, I broke ground on a 2000 square foot addition for my house that uh, I intended to hire out with subs and you a know, builder and all that. And I saw how some of those trades were going very, very early on in the process. And I said, I'm doing all of it. <laughs> and so I literally did a 2000 square foot addition with only, I think I subbed out the concrete, the block work, and uh, I paid a drywaller and I paid shingles. I paid for somebody to shingle the roof. I flew trusses with a crane. I did uh, a sub panel and 30 circuits. I did all the uh, air conditioning and the duct work. I mean, I did everything. I decked the roof. Like I had a blast and I learned all of it on YouTube, <laughs> which is nuts if you think about it, but it looks phenomenal. And like, the jobs that I saw getting done by some of the tradesmen or the contractors and stuff, it was just, I wasn't going to have it. Right. And so did the addition, I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I actually thought about, you know, and granted this was balancing or doing this while being a fireman. And, um, after that was done, I said, man, like I had a blast doing this. And I thought about getting my GC and I thought, well, I don't really want to deal with the phone calls and Hunting subs down and trying to, you know, and then you've got the clients that are calling for 12 to however many months long the project is. And um, so I started just kind of dabbling with finish and trim carpentry because I had done that at one point. And I put an ad out on Facebook and, and it just like skyrocketed from there. Your business is very localized and that's exactly how you
1: want it. You built that business right. because. You don't want to ship pieces all around the world. You want to stay within a specific local market that works best for you. Yeah. So how are you breaking into that local market and really focusing on getting your name out in your local community when you're relatively the new kid on the block? And I have to assume that there are other established businesses out there that are already servicing those
0: clients? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Look, in the past, in the businesses I did in the past, one of them was a service type business. And I would say it was successful, but I spent so much money in marketing to get the phone to ring. And because it was a service business, you're always looking for the next client. And it's every day you're you're servicing multiple clients and it's a one-time deal. And then you're on to look for another client, right? And so it's different from this business in that aspect. But um, I spent a lot of money on Google, doing the AdWords, doing the marketing, doing just different things. And this business, again, when I started it, I this was just like a part-time side business for me. I put some feelers out in the beginning on Facebook and things like that. It just kind of took off organically. And when I say take off, it was word of mouth, which is always huge. Everybody knows word of mouth is the best type of marketing you can possibly or advertising you can possibly have for a lot of reasons, right? But I would say the initial success in getting leads or generating leads and converting to sold jobs was word of mouth that came from people that had seen me, know me, like different work that I had done and building relationships with people like The Builder and things like that. I never blast the social media pages like the groups on Facebook. They're good they are really good resources to be able to post and say, look at this job we just did, right? Like there's a, there's definitely a tactic to it, but that was like, for me, it was like a once every four to six weeks kind of thing. And that's not necessarily the right way to do that because you want to try to create branding within that, but you also don't want to flood it and then you become a nuisance, right? But I did gain some business from generate or generate leads from that kind of just organic posting on social media, like local Facebook groups, right? And then the word of mouth kind of just took over there. People were tagging me and I was responding and, you know, things like that. The last six months, really, Instagram has skyrocketed my lead generation. And there have been some things that we've posted that were successful. And, you know, I don't want to say uh, you know viral, like a, you know I've generated this giant following and now I've got people all over the country that they're flying me out to do their their work. It's not necessarily like that, but people are seeing it. And I spent a lot of time early on in the business creating a presence on Instagram primarily more than Facebook. And the reason being is people nowadays validate your business based on, I don't want to say a following, but based on your presence on social media. It's like tangible, even though it's not it's like a tangible like portfolio which that it is i I've created it to be like a portfolio but they're looking to see what kind of work you do what kind of following you have even though it's not about that they can see videos of your work like it's it's just an opportunity it's an excellent opportunity to create this portfolio that people can watch and monitor and they go to it to validate like that's just how it is today it used to be Google reviews, and it still is. Google reviews are extremely important, and I always focus on trying to get a Google review after a job. But yeah, it, Instagram has like been the focus.
1: As a local shop, a shop that's really pitching projects to a, a local market, how are you setting your geographic limits? Because right. for better or worse, you're your own <laughs> boss. You can make your territory whatever you want it to be. So how are you putting a cap... On where you're going to travel for your projects and how far you're going to go
0: for the clients that you're taking on. Sure. So, you know, as you asked that question, I realized that I didn't fully answer a, something that you had asked uh, a minute ago. And you had mentioned, geographically speaking, I have not been searching to build furniture or ad- advertising or marketing, whatever. To build furniture for anybody in the world, I'm not. I haven't listed like, hey, we'll ship to Alaska or we'll ship to jo- to Georgia. Like I'm in Orlando. I, I just, it's not been a thing that I've done or not done. To be honest with you, my heart is in making furniture, but we do a lot of cabinetry, <laughs> and it's only because like it's just where it's taken us, and that's okay. Um, we're getting more opportunities for furniture, but I had investigated like, what would it look like to sell on Etsy. Like what, what could it look like to create? There's some people I follow that do some incredible furniture and that's all they do. And I would love that. And they have more of like a studio presence, right? It's just not what, where the direction that I've been going. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I would love to do more furniture. So I would totally do that. It's just what, what's God sent? Like what kind of business is coming and what are we doing? And you know, so um, and as far as like geologically or, or where we're actually Willing to go, or what we're advertising to go uh, when I started setting up some of the SEO for the website and things like that. Um, And when I boost, like I, so lately I've been boosting some Instagram reels, and that's been really successful in generating leads way more than Google AdWords or pay per click and stuff like that. But when I set that up, when I do boost posts or I set, you know, pay per click or whatever, I'm typically doing a 10 mile radius. And that is for nothing but selfish reasons. (laughs) <laughs> there is so much potential outside of my 10 mile radius, I just don't need it like and you know maybe I need to reevaluate that from a growing business standpoint, but we've been extremely successful in just this small area if that makes sense financially like it's a it's a pretty good town or or county um, but technically ten miles I'm not including the city of Orlando I'm not including orange county I'm not including some areas that are very affluent right like now I will go to those areas but I haven't really targeted them and I'm in those areas because of organic word of mouth selfishly I don't want to drive 45 minutes to go do an estimate and we charge for our design consults. so it's not like I'm not getting compensated for that time but I don't know there's something about just being close to home you go to a job site it's 15 minutes down the road like you know what I mean
1: You talked a little bit about how in your past business, you really relied on advertising, on digital advertising to push you forward. Are you putting the same playbook in play now with this business, with your furniture business today?
0: We are putting some emphasis on that. It's not very much. And more of it is to just slowly. The thing with SEO is it's slow, at least from my understanding. And I, in the past, paid somebody to manage some of the SEO and ranking and all that stuff, and I'm gonna tell you right now, if you're new in business or you're building a brand, be very careful of who you hire for your SEO. It is probably one of the sharkiest businesses out there in terms of trusting who you're paying and getting your money's worth because of a personal experience and many others that I've heard. So I learned in that business, and that was eight years ago, 10 years ago, I learned a lot about managing Google AdWords and advertising. And setting up SEO and keywords and all of these different things. Um, and some of that was learned through research. Some of it was learned through going to conventions or trade shows and things like that, and sitting in classes. Um, so if you're new or not new, but you're wanting to grow, like I highly recommend going to a trade show um, that has classes. And you know, it's not about how to woodwork. It's not. I mean, I'm sure there are those classes, but it's also classes about building a business and a brand and a company and things like that. The current SEO that we're working on is literally stuff that I'm managing to help with an organic presence. But at the end of the day, like we recently started offering luxury closets or custom closets because I see that there's a market for it. And I see that it's a scalable business, whereas furniture or cabinetry, high end. I mean, our niche is high end custom. High end custom cabinetry is not a measure and order boxes from online. It's we hand select all our material we hand build everything in in house. We don't send out anything. We don't order doors, we don't order drawer boxes. We finish in house. We are literally after the finest finish that we can possibly produce. And our customers are paying for that. So my point is, when I started the luxury closet or custom closet side of this business, I'm competing with, you know, California Closets, Closets by Design, like all these major brands that have millions of dollars in a marketing budget. You're never going to compete with that. So The the point with the SEO is I'm just trying to show up organically when you search Tiller Trade Co. I just want to show up on on the first page. I don't care if it's number one, but when people search the company, they should be able to find you. They should be able to find you on the map, which is important. Set up Google uh, your map listing. Get at least 10 reviews. They need to be five-star reviews. Get 10. Once you get, I think it's like eight or 10 you show up on the map listing, right? But now they have where you can pay to be essentially first on the map too. But people validate businesses by the reviews, by your presence online, whether it's social media, Google, things like that.
1: It's kind of crazy to me And to a lot of other people, that the idea of having your phone number on your website as a small business owner is even a question. 20 years, 30, 40 years ago, your phone number was your lifeline for clients. But today, there are a lot of pros and cons to it versus having an only email-based communication business. Yes, it can bring in extra clients, but as a one- or two-person small shop, Answering the phone all day can also ruin your workflow. Yeah. Can you talk about your decision to include your phone number on your website? Because you do have one on there. And if it's a good or bad decision for your business
0: so far. Early on, I had this idea that I was going to answer phone calls between eight and nine and return phone calls between four and five or whatever. It doesn't work like that. Like the way that the day goes, right? So typically when I get a lead, to help manage what you're asking, because um, it can very quickly become a problem in terms of productivity, especially when you're owner operator, it can hinder you know production. Like the way I manage that is, as soon as I get a lead and I get a phone number, whether they called me, text me, if I have to enter it because it was all based on email or you know Instagram Messenger, I immediately put their number and save it in my phone with the first name, last name, and what the job is. Like uh, you know John Smith. And it's a fireplace Oviedo, whatever, right? Like that way, if they call me, I'm not forwarding the call because it's an unknown number or like obviously if it says spam or, you know, whatever, you just keep going. And I will say the watch situation, I don't wear an Apple watch, but I do have a watch uh, that shows the phone number coming across and it will say spam or whatever. And so that's a super productive way to be able to look real quick without Shutting everything down, like taking your phone out of your pocket, that kind of thing. But um, but yeah, that's an easy way to manage. It doesn't help with the new leads, but it is an easy way to manage answering a phone call for a client or a prospect or whatever you want to call it
1: when you were building the addition onto your house and you were looking at all the trades coming through and you you weren't feeling that great about a lot of them. You didn't want some of them to be working in your home. You didn't feel like they were up to par with the professionalism that you'd expect. You now have a trades business. You're in people's homes. You're a similar type of business to that. So how are you making sure your business today is operated and looks the way you want it to, not like the unprofessionalism that you saw when you were doing your own renovation.
0: Yes, so I can't say that all the trades that came here or subs were not good. There was, in particular, the the concrete crew the guys that did the slab work. The owner and I are still friends after meeting him, and uh, I always was. Incredibly impressed with their crew. They worked so efficiently. They worked so hard, and watching them was inspirational. And I remember telling the owner, I have multiple conversations with this owner. Like, look, man, like you guys, your guys are killing it. You are blessed to have people working that hard like that in today's world. And he knows. And um, you know. And then flip side, some of the other trades that came through here. I, I, I'm not like somebody that just goes firing people. Like I. I had to let go one of the trades and I did, that's where it all you know, started I did it all myself. Back up to like when I had the service business, it was always extremely important and my clientele has always been, no matter what business we've been in, my clientele has always been the higher end, right? And it's not because we're too good for the blue collar or anybody else, it's just we carried and conducted ourselves differently. We were always in uniform. Our equipment was always clean. Things looked right. We had policies and procedures. I mean, this was a side business through the fire department and it was run and organized as if it was a scaled giant business. You know, formal estimates, professional speaking, showing up on time, communicating, like if there's a delay or if there's a reschedule or if there's something that's happening, like all of those things were always extremely important to me. And, you know, coming to where we are today, like it's the same thing. We show up on time, we show up when we say we're going to be there we get done what we say we're going to get done. If there's, you know, issues or delays or anything like that, like those things are communicated throughout the process. When we have a build list that's 6 months long, which is not uncommon, like that's been status quo, we promise and fulfill our obligation of telling the people or the clients on the build list, "Hey, you're 6 months out. Once we collect a deposit, you're on the build list." 3 weeks goes by. Just want to let you know we're making progress. We're still on track for about, you know, whatever time frame Uh, We try not to give a deadline, like we're going to start your job on May 21st, but uh, we do give a lead time of, you know, two to three months or four to six months or whatever it is. But through that process and that waiting period, we're communicating while we're working on the job. And this is the great thing about social media. Um, While we're working on their job, we're posting stories, describing our process, showing, showing everything. And part of that is for the community, like the woodworking community. Some of that is for the clients. Some of that is to um, show that, like, we literally, we really do everything in house, um, and they can see the process. You know, again, to recap, it's uniforms, it's clean cut, it's respect, it's phone calls, it's responding to emails or sending emails, communication, like, just all of it, right? You know, when I walk into a house for a client, um, do you, would you like me to take my shoes off? Like things like, like just little things that people appreciate. You've set boundaries for yourself,
1: geographic boundaries, but also boundaries on what you're going to build. You're a custom shop, but you're not building everything that comes in the door. You have a market goal to be building high-end custom, one-of-a-kind cabinetry. Yeah, But you're also going after a very specific local market that might not always be in the price point that your work is at. So can you talk about that balance of pricing versus your market?
0: Yes. So um, estimating is a very difficult and I would say a learned skill. I think it's a skill. Um, And early on, I was kind of just shooting from the hip. And then, you know, once you and, and part of that shooting from the hip is what would I pay for this? And that is a very dangerous method to coming up with a price when you're the guy in the business doing it for a lot of reasons, especially if your niche is high end custom, because we are not spending, I, I'm telling you right now, I'm not spending 10 grand on a dining room table, mostly because I can make it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, um, but that being said, people do. There are a lot of people that do. People want nice things. They want heirloom furniture. They want things that are going to last, that are good quality, right? So there's nothing wrong with spending that kind of money on a table, let's say, but you can't arrive at a price based on what you think is quote unquote fair, or what you think is a good price based on what your expectation of what you would pay for a table is, right? I'd made those mistakes, quite a few of them early, you know, and then I was like, this has got to change. And so we started building our estimates, looking at our material and it's amazing. If you really look at and build an estimate and you don't account for sales tax on the material, you know, when you purchase, like say, you know, we're buying sheets of plywood, $120 a pop. If you don't account for the 7% on top of that and you're buying 10 sheets, like that adds up, you know, and then you add your hardware and all this other stuff. So, um, I finally have, and it's constantly dialing it in. Like you've got to stay on the path and you keep dialing in your process. It's going to be for eternity or, you know, as long as we're in this business. But we started building estimates by looking at how much labor it was going to take. And we created a labor or a shop hourly rate, right? What's it cost to pay labor, whether it's me or an employee? What's it cost to run the shop or operate um, overhead? Things like that, right? And then profit for the business. And then you got to account for taxes and stuff like that. So we built a shop rate and then we basically, um, look at how long is each process going to take us. I look at the material estimate. I look, you know, got to factor in some waste, um, milling for hardwood, like all these different things. And then the finishing process, which that's always a gamble, (laughs) like the finishing, like you could knock it out and rock it and not have any waste or minimal waste. And you got no imperfections. And and then sometimes you can respray three times. Like I have been there. I have resprayed doors. I have sanded everything down. So the point is, and you'll be amazed at where you come in at based on what you thought it was going to be or what you think it should be based on what you would be willing to pay compared to where it comes out. And you have to remember when you're in this quote unquote high-end niche or high-end custom niche, it's not about what you would pay. You have designed based on conversation with the client during a design consult. They requested certain things. You've designed it and rendered it or modeled it or whatever, sketched it. That's what they want. You have to bid it based on what they want, unless they give you a budget or a you know a price range. And then you alter the design in that moment with them during the consult to accommodate that.
1: Now, I don't want to keep going back to this idea that you're in a local market, but I really do think that it It's an important factor and one of the most important factors in how you're running your business. Yeah. When there are furniture makers who are all in the same area but could be selling pieces that they're shipping all across the country, the competition can be a little bit more friendly. You're not stepping on each other's toes. But when you're working in a limited market with other companies that are also going after that limited market, the competition isn't always as friendly because you're all trying to make money from a specific pool of clients. Right. So how are you building a community with your local builders and the local companies around you, but at the same time being
0: their competition? That's a good question. So um, essentially, look, this business for me, I'm stewarding this business, okay? I trust that God is in control and that he is providing. Financially, he's providing opportunities with leads. He's providing the clients, like all these things. And if not, like he's got something else planned. But as far as like competing, and it's a real, it's, it's definitely something that you need to think about and have tact with, right? Because look, I have some people that are very close by that we have been friends for a very long time. And then I got into this and we are helping each other out. Uh, we talk to each other, I would say, somewhat regularly. We lean on each other with different questions at times. Like there were some questions about finishing recently. They do a lot of high-end furniture. They're doing like really big high-end furniture. And I'm trying to build relationships with designers now. But, you know, because I'm trying to grow the business, I'm trying to grow the brand, I'm trying to get in with designers. They could be concerned or I could be concerned that we are competing against each other. And, but realistically, like you're not really competing. You're both in business. You both may put a lead or an estimate, you know, on something that you've been asked to to bid. But at the end of the day, like you're not going to dry up because he's a business. There is plenty of work out here, especially in today's day where there's not enough people in the trades or especially in this business. There is plenty of work, right? And just to give you some evidence, when I was in the service business, I became so well networked in that industry with people all across the country, but including my local first like that 10 mile radius, we became so close that like my wife ended up working for him at one point. (laughs) We were friends. Like we were driving to the conferences and the conventions together. Like what's funny is I actually ended up selling that business to my most equal same size competitor that lived or his shop was, I don't know, five miles down the road, 10 miles down the road. Like we were direct competitors and we became close friends. I ended up selling the business to him, And like, we're still friends. And that was seven or eight years ago. And we still, I tell, we talk all the time. I'd probably, we probably talk once a month, once every couple months, like about business, about how stuff, like he'll call me with other, business. you know, it's not, yes, there's competition, but it's not like that. Like there's plenty of room for all of us to swim and, and eat and, and be a community. You're somebody who grew up wanting to build furniture and have
1: a shop, and you went away from that for a little bit, but it was always in the back of your mind, and then you came back to it, so you've had an off-and-on lifetime of being in this industry. Can you share some of your takeaways for people who are either starting a business now or who are already in business but are trying to do it better?
0: I would say one of the biggest takeaways, and this is something that is Harder and harder to see or find with the newer generation coming up. There is something to be said for being an apprentice. I mean, like a real apprentice. If you're young and you're in high school and you're looking at this, or you're in college or you're starting a business, like get in with somebody and learn everything you can. Just soak up and ask questions, soak up all the knowledge, like learn everything you can. And this is, you go back to like the previous question of, of competition, like you every time you hire somebody for these guys that have scaled and like, I'm looking at hiring my first full-time employee. And is the question in mind, like, well, you know, you might be teaching your next competition. Like, sure. But it doesn't have to be looked at like that. You could be teaching the next successful business and ultimately glorifies God. And it's, they're creating excellent, high quality furniture. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't have to be looked at like that. Right. So my thing would be, if I could give a tip, it would be soak up and ask questions and come in humble and new and learn everything you possibly can.
1: Thank you for sharing that advice and all the rest of the advice that you did on this episode. I know it's helped everybody listening a great deal and I really do appreciate it. So thank you and wishing you best of luck with wherever this business takes
0: you. Awesome. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. I'm honored, humbled, and I uh, appreciate what you're doing here for the community.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at the Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.